This is the Empowered Athlete Podcast, Episode 9. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a big, big episode today of the Empowered Athlete Podcast. We're going on a journey with a young man who started his career on the west coast of Canada and went all the way to the World Cup of Rugby to face the All Blacks. We're talking about Connor Trainer. I've been fortunate enough to work with Connor and he's an amazing guy, but a phenomenal athlete. This guy has not only been on the 15s national team, but also the sevens as well. So if you know anything about rugby, that is an incredible feat. We're so happy to have him here today and there's so much to learn from his experiences. So let's get right into it. Let me take you back to the summer of 2008 it was my first summer not playing for the national team. I had it off and I got to train the entire summer with Kari on a specifically made program that was tailored to me, my injuries, my body, and my goals for that next upcoming season. And I was 34 years old. Well, the result went back over to Turkey and won a European Cup in incredible physical condition. Thank you to that program setting me up for the perfect season. Well, now you have access to the exact same thing Hit email ks at empowerconditioning.com. That's KS for Kari Schneider. And get started on one of Kari's incredible online training programs. The program is tailored to you. It has a video of each exercise you're doing so you know what you're doing. Your reps are laid out. The sets are laid out. You can't go wrong. Reach out now to reach your best. Welcome to the Empowered Athlete Podcast, created to support athletes in their pursuit of excellence and inspire others toward their best lives. Hosted by Kari Schneider, coach to top performers in sport and life, and Paul Durden, former national and professional volleyball player. Okay. Hi, Connor. We're, uh, we're really excited to have you on today. So welcome. Hi, guys. Thanks. Uh, thanks a lot for having me. Yeah, so we're here with Connor Trainer and uh, Paul Dorden. And if you don't know who Connor is, we really want to hear from him to describe a little bit about, you know, the Connor Trainer that's the international rugby player. Uh, yeah, happy, happy to be here. Thanks. Thanks a lot for having me on. Uh, uh, I'm definitely a rugby player, hope, hopefully a little bit more as well in life, but uh, ha happy to be on and, and happy to talk about my story. So how you, you grew up in Vancouver, but um, you know, you went really quickly through the ranks when it comes to rugby and, but you didn't start off as a rugby player. You weren't one of those kids who was playing rugby at like, 10 years old were you or did you start what was your start like tell us a little uh, bit about that yeah my my parents had me playing pretty much everything they uh they really indulged me and uh if if i picked up a tennis racket the next day i was at uh, a tennis court if i saw swimming on tv i was i was in the pool the next day uh so i i built a base uh playing all sports and kind of utilizing all skills which which i think is really important as an athlete to, to progress um and i actually stayed far away from rugby um just watching it, it looked like organized chaos and as a, <laughs> as, as a small kid growing up I, I i was fine with contact but 
uh, I wasn't going to get into it um, voluntarily. Yeah. Quick, quick question, Connor, where did you see it first? Because I know rugby for a lot of Canadians is something they may have heard of, heard of that goes on in Europe. I know my high school, there was no rugby program until the last year I was leaving, and there was a, a British gentleman who started it. So is rugby prevalent on the West Coast here where I grew up in Ontario? Wasn't a lot of rugby going on. So where did where did you actually see it first? Yeah, so in, in Vancouver, it's, it's uh, Vancouver and Victoria is the hub of rugby in Canada just solely because of uh, our winters. They're, they're a lot better than uh, the Ontario winters, as, as I've experienced. Um, so the first time I, I saw a rugby game was in, in my hometown, down at Stanley Park. Uh, my family would go for bike rides around there, and um, we stopped at the field and, and saw <laughs> Uh, what what we thought was some sort of fight with with the, <laughs> the teams organized, um, and my parents had no idea what it was. My sister had no idea. I don't I don't think we asked anyone. We just walked for a while, uh, and then got out of there as as quickly as possible. Because um, <laughs> there was sure to be another unorganized fight afterwards after watching all that. Ex exactly. Yeah. So we we had no idea what was going on and uh, didn't didn't want to find out. And uh, and yeah, to to this day, my my parents still don't really know the rules, so they're, 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 you know, help helping you out. Um, so yeah, I guess I guess you could say I was lucky where I I was born in Vancouver and rugby was around a little bit more so than schools in Ontario or anywhere else in Canada for that matter. Um, but yeah, I I, I stayed away from rugby and and. I played soccer growing up, uh, also did cross country and that. Um, but I just, I was playing soccer at such a high level at such a young age. I, I kind of got burnt out and just fully, fully quit the sport. What age was that? Uh, I think I would have been maybe 13 or 14. So how much uh, were you, would you have been playing and traveling per week at that age? Yeah, it would have been similar to what I'm doing now as uh, a professional player, I guess, minus the travel, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe two hours a night playing uh, soccer and then weekends would be spent traveling. Uh, I remember I came to Spain and Holland to play in tournaments. I remember we played FC Barcelona, their, their junior team. Um, and yeah, it was, it was just a lot at, at that age. Would you attribute that background in soccer as giving your foundation to all your athleticism and a lot of your ability now that you tap into? Yeah, as, as I said, um, all, all sports kind of gave me something. Soccer, soccer was definitely huge. and it's a, it's a great sport to play because it creates that base of aerobic fitness and um, just seeing the field. It doesn't matter what you're playing or, or what surface it's on you, you need to be able to uh see what's happening around you and anticipate what's going to happen and, and that was, yeah that, that, was that spatial awareness and that tactical sense exactly yeah you've, you've yeah. worded it much better than me <laughs> <laughs> thanks, thanks okay i i i know a, this to me is a funny story but I remember so we worked together for a while i was coaching you before you were heading off to the national team and you were playing university but 
I, I knew you came from a soccer background and I became aware of how limited your shoulder range of motion was. <laughs> and, and you said one thing to me, I was like, are you kidding me? You said, I, I can't even really do a, a throw in for soccer. <laughs> I was like, yeah. Well. I was like, that uh, makes sense. So I see why you went away from tennis. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it hasn't gotten any better, I will tell oh. you. Oh, <laughs> we worked so hard on that. And uh, yeah, the couple shoulder injuries I've had since then have, have not helped. No. <laughs> uh, so I'm, I'm so sorry. But yeah, it's gotten worse, if anything. Oh, geez. <laughs> I didn't yeah, know it my, could. My, my throw-ins weren't fantastic for, for soccer. That wasn't, wasn't my strong suit. Yeah, yeah, that's too funny. <laughs> So you were, so you got burnt out and at that age, what was that like? You, you just felt like you had no zest for wanting to keep competing or training. Like what did, what did that kind of burnout feel like in a 14 year old mind? Yeah, it was, it was just, um, I wasn't, I wasn't having fun anymore. Uh, and I wasn't excited to just go out and run around, which was the only reason I was doing it. Um, yeah. my, my parents weren't pushing me to be some sort of professional soccer player or anything that to be honest my my dad has now said he wished I'd gone pro in hockey but that's that's a different story but um were you playing hockey back then too I I, I played it till I was maybe 11 or 12 and then okay. uh, I stopped playing hockey because they wouldn't let me stay on the ice the whole time which I didn't understand <laughs> <laughs> were you decent at that age because that that's you know that's kind of that cusp age where you start to head into that 13 14 years old and you know people are being siphoned to where their talent is so then that's where you get the opportunity so were you did you have some decent hockey talent yeah i was um i, I was definitely a, a pretty good player i i had done some power skating so i was i was a pretty amazing skater um good good uh handling skills and that it's just sometimes because I was so small, I would I would just get pushed off the puck or yeah. just destroyed completely. Um, and again, that's that's why my dad continues to to bring up hockey because I had all the base skills and I would have grown into the body I have now. Is uh, he gonna is he gonna let his dream go, do you think? Or, <laughs> or is nah, he... he's uh that ship sailed. Yeah, yeah the ship the ship sailed, but uh yeah, he'll he'll always regret i guess letting letting me quit hockey at age 12 not not that he'd ever stop me yeah. from doing it but uh yeah, yeah he, he loves to bring to bring that story up now, now there's a there's a couple things here that i'm thinking of and that's that for the listeners <clears throat> they may not know what your size is because you're described getting pushed off the puck so so tell people what size you are <clears throat> that's, uh, uh, that's our dog in the background so <laughs> this is real life for everybody who's listening. <laughs> um, yeah. So what uh, what size are you now in terms of if you were to get pushed off a puck or or uh, we're yeah, thinking it, rugby it, terms it would, too? It would take uh, someone pretty big now to to push me off the puck. <laughs> I'm I'm um, six three and uh, I'd, I'd be around two hundred and twenty pounds now. Uh, yeah, hundred kilograms, um, which I think is bigger than most hockey players yep um and you probably still run a bit like a skater like you i i do run exactly like a skater. <laughs> uh it yeah my start 
look exactly like a hockey starts, which isn't isn't very efficient, but gets gets no. the job done. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure <laughs> you're still one of the fastest. So, uh, um, I try to be work on that, right? Yeah. So go forward in terms of from that. What did you do? Did you recover? Did you um, did you quit soccer for a period of time? What happened? Yeah, so soccer, I I just fully fully quit um and it would have been grade nine or ten uh and then i just started playing everything sports for fun i was i was doing field hockey um i had been a good cross-country runner but quitting soccer made me not very fit anymore so i i stopped doing that mm-hmm. um and yeah i just i just played everything just to play sports again um uh, wanted to be with my friends and and that's actually what what led me to rugby um i again i can't remember if it was grade nine or ten i all all my friends were were playing rugby on the school team um and uh i just wanted to be able to hang out with them for the hour and a half after after school so i I went went to rugby training uh had no idea what it was I, i remember i wore shin pads my first time with uh, soccer gear, <laughs> which is, yeah. which is ridiculous in hindsight. But again, I, I had no idea. <laughs> I, I wanted to be as protected as possible. That's uh, right. Knowing all of that collision that you saw and yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I, I didn't think I wanted any part in that, but yeah. And then I was, I was playing on the, on the B team in, in grade nine or 10 and, and just enjoying my, myself again, enjoying playing sports and competing and, just being out with my friends and you're probably still pretty small then too i i was very, i was very small then yeah I, I would have been one of the smaller kids in my grade I, I remember i looked at the program for my like uh basketball tournament provincials in grade nine yeah um possibly grade eight but i, I was still under five feet oh gosh i think i just gotten over a hundred hundred pounds oh man uh, and I, I just remember at that age as well, uh, most of the girls had, had hit their growth spurts as they do earlier. Yep. So I, I was just tiny for guys and girls. It was, there was no winning. Yeah, you're just out there enjoying life and, and trying to, it probably in hindsight, probably made you more agile and faster because you had to play a different game against the bigger guys. And yeah, it, in you hindsight, know, that's that's what made me uh, as as good as as I became. Um, I was so small, and for my first year, I was I was just running out of fear. <laughs> so see, yeah. Paul was Paul was more of that like kind of lanky, uh, fast grower, but he still played all the sports like you did, and and attributes that to a large part of that development. What were you going to say, Paul? Yeah, I, d- I didn't have. I was pretty much the polar opposite. I was long and lanky and tall, but didn't have any of the coordination or foot speed or any of that that, that you have. So we're pretty much the two ends of the spectrum. And I'm wondering, did along with needing to be fast and from a game perspective, how it shapes your development of at that size, you're not going to win the battles physically. You got to be smarter, quicker and all of that. Uh, did it also feel the competitive and mental side of, and, and need to prove yourself with the other guys that were bigger or was there any of that element to it? Uh, it, it was definitely fun having a sport where size was 
such a big part of it. Um, but I was still still able to do well. Um, I progressed pretty quickly into the the A team, and um, attack wise, I I was doing great. I could I could read the game really well from my soccer background and other sports. I could kick. Um, but did yeah. you ever did you ever feel like the underdog that you were kind of like a little bit angry that you had to prove to somebody else that you could do it? Or were you always just good enough, even though you were small, that you never had that chip on your shoulder? Um, yeah, I think uh, I, don't, I don't think I would ever give myself the underdog status, but um, I, I think I just never felt the need to, to compete with guys who were who were bigger than me. They they had their size, but I, I felt I had other other attributes. Um, that could kind of counteract them so maybe not a chip on my shoulder but it felt good that these guys the way i saw it got lucky and had had muscles and size uh yeah. but I, I could still beat them uh in different ways yeah and then and then you got that gift later the muscles and the size and the and then it worked and, out it all worked out and then yeah i, I pretty much hit puberty and, and started working out all at the same time so the start of grade 11 i was maybe 510 and uh 150 pounds and by the start of grade 12 i was 62 and 200 pounds um wow so I, I went from one of the smallest to, to one of the the bigger the bigger guys did you uh, have any of the osgood schlatters or any of the growth issues that some athletes go through just because uh, it's did, so fast yeah I, I didn't just because it wasn't really vertical that much it, it was mainly just um hitting puberty and just adding mass to, to yeah. my body um the the one thing was just i still kind of saw the world through through my same eyes so I'd, I'd be running at someone i'd be bigger than but i would <laughs> i would think i was smaller than them so i'd always be trying to avoid uh the contact and it, it still feels like that sometimes i, I still feel like a smaller player person yeah exactly yeah yeah, yeah. it's interesting because that's where you first first developed and that's still that's still ingrained yeah and it's it, I, I guess i've spent half my life now at this size but i but i still feel smaller which which is a i guess a strange thing now that now that i say that out loud yeah yeah but it's interesting because people's other people's perspectives is completely different they'll make certain judgments based on what they see and primarily on what they see yet it's a whole nother world for what you experience and and that's part of the reason we do this is to have people understand what's really going on for an athlete um, yeah de definitely so so carry us forward how did you how did you go from where you were just kind of getting into rugby and and how did that progress um so the first the first time I really knew uh, that I was I was a good player um kind of on my team and and within the province uh we played I, w I went to St. George's school in Vancouver which was a private school and our our big rival is Shawnigan Lake school mm -hmm. uh, and they always had a very strong rugby program uh and I remember we went there and uh surprised their team and and won by a, a pretty wide margin I, I i had a good game and the canada 
uh, junior Canada coach came up to me and uh, introduced himself and said he liked what he saw and uh, to keep going. Um, How did that feel at that time? Yeah, I, I was just so surprised that, that, that I was even in that conversation. Um, I, yeah, I'd just been playing for fun at that point, had been trying to win games with, with my team and, and hadn't really thought of aspirations outside of, I guess, winning, winning provincials. Um, so that, that kind of opened my eyes um, to another level of the sport. And it was on uh, your radar then. Yeah, exactly. It, it, it wasn't a huge uh, eye-opener, but it, it was enough to, to make me keep working. I, I remember my coach talking to me about how now I need to get a little more serious about what I did with my training and, and food and, and everything else. So that, that, that was kind of the, the very first step. And how, how uh, I was just going to ask you, how does that that kind of feeling or you have that expansion of your kind of worldview of rugby? Because I, I just in you describing that, I was thinking of myself as a volleyball player and, you know, you just play high school and then there's a regional or provincial team you want to make. And that's as far as you see. And then once you're on the provincial team, you think oh, I maybe want to play in university or it, it's like the blinders that you have on just slowly get pulled back each step that you make. And you're describing there, you know, oh, junior national team, it wasn't even on your radar. So as those blinders get pulled back, did anything else change? Did you, you mentioned that obviously the, the training is going to become more important, but did you get hungrier? Did you become more focused on rugby as soon as somebody puts that kind of carrot in front of you? I know for me that, I was like you doing all those different sports and wouldn't be able to pick one. But as I kind of was exposed to that longer road with volleyball and, hey, you could go here or here, that that kind of focused me in. Was it like that for you? Yeah, I, I think it'd be pretty much the same as you. Like, I, I, didn't, I didn't really choose rugby. Like, rugby chose me. It was just kind of the path. I kept making the next step. And, and I, as you said, seeing a little bit more of, uh, of what could be done. Um, so I, I just began as, as a player who just liked competing. It didn't matter what it was. And, and then it became rugby. And uh, yeah, it was, it was little by little that the, the blinders got lifted. Um, and it's, it's taken me to where I am today. But yeah, that, that first step was huge. So, you're, so you went on from there to... Were you going to university then, or were they already, was a national team, I know they were, they had you on their radar, that's how you ended up in my gym, but did you, how much had you done with the national team at that point? Uh, so nothing at that stage, so I, I graduated, uh, I graduated high school, and I had already decided that I was going to go to New Zealand. To work at a high school there um, and that decision had been made before kind of rugby was a big part of my life um, the headmaster of my high school was was from New Zealand so he he set that up for me um, what work I, were you gonna do there uh, I was I was pretty much crusade at uh, at a high school it's called it's called a gap year it's I guess more of a, an English thing yeah but uh, pretty much, yeah, just a year before university to, to hang out, 
see see what I want to do. And uh, I wasn't ready for university, so I, I just wanted to, to take some time. Yeah. Um, I love that concept. Totally. I, like, How many kids yeah. in high school have no clue what they want to do and are being asked to lay down thousands of dollars in a program they may not want to go through with? Yeah. yeah. Get My a little world experience. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it, it didn't, it didn't cost, cost me anything. Uh, I got paid a little bit. It, it was pretty much just enough to, to live, but, um, yeah, it was, it was such a good idea in hindsight and, and really helped me get ready for not just university, but I guess the rest, the rest of life. Yeah, international travel, experience with other cultures, getting, you know, all of that, that so many people at that age just don't even get to, they choose or don't do any of it because they stay comfortable in one place often. Yeah, that that was the thing. That was my first big kind of leap where um left my family, left all my friends, everything I've known to go to another country um, and yet yeah, live, live apart. Um, it's something I don't even think about doing now because it's so easy, but, but that, yep. it, it was a big step, but as a 17 year old. Yeah, that's fantastic. And so um, take us into some of the most uh, defining points in your career, because you, you accomplished something that was massive and that was being selected for both the national team in sevens and 15s. So tell us a little bit more about that, especially for people who don't know much about rugby. Um, well, yeah, I, um, so yeah, I was on my gap year, which was in New Zealand, which happens to be the, the rugby mecca of the world. Uh, so that, that exposed me to just how good players could be and, and the level. Um, and I came back early from, that experience to try out for the junior Canada team and I made that uh, a year early which um, surprised myself but again showed me how how far I could go mm-hmm. um, and we we went to the tournament I remember we played England and Australia and mm-hmm. All, this is an under-20 team, and all their players are fully professional playing in the, the senior men's league. Yeah. And, and we, we just got killed. I, I, I couldn't even tell you the score, but it, it, <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't pretty. Um, yeah. And that, that in itself is, is a huge, huge eye-opener, realizing I'm really not that good and how much more work needs to go into it. Yeah, and also how underdeveloped Canadian rugby is versus the rest of the world. Yeah, exactly. They they just have such a good system, similar to hockey in Canada. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the Canadian system is is nowhere nowhere near that. Like they've they've been playing rugby for so long and at such a high level, whereas we were just good athletes that yeah played rugby. Yeah. Um. And then, yeah, I, I played a second year of that, of U20, and uh, I assumed kind of my, that was it for rugby. Like, I'd, I'd play at Western when I was, yep. where I was going to school. Um, and other than that, I'd do, do my degree in engineering and graduate and, and hopefully get a job. Um, but I got a call from the Canadian Sevens coach. Um, 
So there's there's many different forms of rugby, but I, I guess the main two are rugby fifteens and rugby sevens. Uh, and and using using pole kind of as an example with volleyball, there's there's two. There's the beach and gym, and I guess Paul, you you'd agree with me that the beach rugby is more of a spectator sport. It's more to get fans out there, and it's kind of a quicker version. Well, I I just say that beach volleyball versus court is just two completely different games. The the beach guys are incredible and. The beach women, I mean, all beach volleyball players, because it's it's a different beast. The skills on the beach. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of translation between the two, but you know, years ago, people would possibly do both, but now it's highly specialized. You're you're an indoor player or you're a beach player. It's extremely rare that someone does both, which makes you an anomaly in your sport. Which you can kind of explain more here. Well, yeah, it'd be the same for for our sport. So rugby sevens is is the same. How it's seven players on same size field as rugby 15 so uh you have to cover all that space um and yeah i was i was selected to that team and just ended up uh playing well and and throughout my time at western i would go on these trips for two or three weeks at a time uh traveling around the world um and then from there, I, I made the jump to the senior national team, at, uh, to the 15s team. It, uh, it just so happened to be a World Cup year, and they, they asked me to come try out for the team maybe three months before the World Cup. Uh, so I went, I went out to a tournament in England called the Churchill Cup, where we played Italy, Russia, and England's second team. And I, I happened to have, have a good tournament and from there made it to the Rugby World Cup 2011. Wow, that's incredible. So, so Connor, can you describe for us, kind of from two perspectives, what is a Rugby World Cup like? I'm sure 90% of our listeners have not seen a World Cup game. So what is it like just in terms of ambiance and media attention and that whole component but what is it like for you as a as a, a kid from vancouver a canadian being on that stage so if you kind of give it to us from both perspectives yeah well i got extremely lucky in that my first world cup was in new zealand <laughs> um as i said just a rugby crazy country so um it it, it was wild i was just turned 21 years old um and we we'd go out to training where we'd have four to five hundred people just just watching us train yeah which um which is crazy like for some of the highest levels game in canada you wouldn't have that many fans and these these people just wanted to come out watch us train and meet us be around us talk to us um and it and it was it was insane is is the only way to to describe it yeah um and the the new zealand people were, were so happy to have us there and, and really wanted to show us their culture and and involve us uh in their life um and our first game we played Tonga in uh the north the north uh island of new zealand and we we won that game 
right at the end. Uh, and I was I was a replacement that game. I was on the bench. And I, I came in with maybe 20 minutes to go. And um, I, I remember our, our strength coach at the time has, has told this story before, but uh, everyone, everyone was warming up and they knew I was going on the field pretty soon. The strength coach was like, all right, like, what do you want to do? What do you need to warm up? Do you want to pass the ball, make a couple tackles? I was like, no, no, like I'm, I'm ready. Just, just let me go. He's like, oh, but I don't know. Should we get you warm or something? I'm like, I'm warm. And um, I, I got on the, got on the field, and my, my first touch of the ball. Uh, again, we were playing Tonga, which are uh, known as, as a pretty massive team and, and big hitters. And uh, my first touch of the ball. I just tucked it into one arm like a like a football player. So there was there was no chance that I was passing, kicking. The people <laughs> the people that I was that I was running at knew I was running. Yeah. Um and our, our captain said after that he saw this happening and, and thought I was done. He's like, Oh, this stupid young kid, like why did he do it? <laughs> um I, I think I just surprised the, the guys I was playing against and just happened to, to run through made however many um, meters and then um, ended up getting tackled, uh, popped the ball up, and, and that guy went and scored, and, and we ended up winning uh, off that try or, or, or moving forward. And uh, just just that feel like I, I, I wish I could say I remember it, but I, I, I don't. Even even right after the game, I, I had no idea what had happened. It, it was surreal. And meanwhile, the story gets passed on because they're all jaw-dropped and watching and will never forget it because they're watching you in some of your kind of rookie attempts. Yeah, yeah, it was... Um, I, I, I definitely just got lucky. It, it's something I would, I would never try nowadays to this day. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, and and it definitely easily could have gone the other way. Where, oh yeah, you could have had your head knocked off. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So. Totally. Now, so. I I have to ask this as a like just out of my own curiosity. What's it like playing the well before you even play the All Blacks and you're on the field and they're doing the haka? Um. Yeah. So the the haka is, is their traditional war dance, which um they i they would use uh i guess not that long ago but in 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 times of war and it's meant to be a challenge uh to intimidate the opponent uh and also to wake up every muscle in the body so um watching it's definitely a very intimidating thing but uh when when you're on the field and 10 meters away from these guys doing it uh, it, it more just kind of kind of locks you in and, and gives you that razor focus, realizing that you're you're about to go into battle, yeah. And, and this this is happening. Um, I don't think there's any intimidation for us. It was it was it was just a, a let's go, like step into it. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah. Challenging you. What what are you going to do about it? Uh, so that that was that was super cool. In so, terms of sorry, in terms of uh, that. When you get down to it, in, in the game of rugby, it's you against those other men who are trained to take you out, take the ball, run it through you, run it over you. It's incredibly 
physical. It's purely physical. And talking about the haka and it focusing you in, do you draw? When you know you're going up against the best in the world, where are you drawing your confidence from? Is it the physical training you've been doing, the hitting? What What's the, the biggest source of confidence? I mean, I know as an athlete, it's kind of all of those things. But for you personally, where do you... Where do you find it? Your, your spark, your drive, your your confidence, your because to some extent you have to have a feeling of invincibility to yeah. be confident enough to go out there. Otherwise, otherwise you're going to get killed. So, well, yeah. For, what what for, is it for you? For for that we we pretty much were invincible. Um, we're playing against the best team in the world, and and now, um, at this stage, they're statistically the best team ever in across mm-hmm. any sport yeah um and there, there's people say it a lot go out there you have nothing to lose we we had literally nothing to lose if if we got scored on no big deal it was everyone watching the game expected that to happen if if we missed the tackle it was expected uh so it was, so we had zero pressure going out there they they were at home in front of their home fans after having lost the last World Cup in, in pretty disappointing fashion. So uh, we could just get, get out there, express, us, express ourselves how we wanted to, and just um, do, do our best pretty much. So it, it, it was just a, a fun game to play. And uh, again, like it, it's a strange thing to say, but we had confidence knowing uh, we, we could do what we wanted, try our best, and that, and that, that was something we, we'd be proud of. Yeah. That's huge. Um, what's, uh, what's one of the, or the biggest, what's the biggest challenge you've had to overcome? Uh, just, just in my sport as a whole or in, in life? Um, Could be either. Yeah, I, I guess, uh, well, yeah, I guess easy answer is I, I tore my Achilles last year. Um, I tore my right Achilles. I've, I've been dealing with tendonitis for a couple of years and it eventually just, um, just snapped. Luck, luckily it, it was, a um, uh, a full tear of, of the Achilles. So there, there's not really much pain associated with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I was, I was playing for the national team against Romania in Edmonton. And uh, I knew instantly that it happened. I, I thought someone had hit me with the bat in the, in the back of the calf or someone had, had tackled me from behind or something. I didn't have a ball. Yeah. Um, and then once I realized what had happened, it, it, was, uh, it was pretty heartbreaking. How, wh- what was that like for you? Um, well, I was, I was with the Canadian team, so I, I had great medical care right away. Um, they, they did everything I, they could. I was saw the best doctors, had surgery. Um, they, they made sure I had a boot, uh, this and that. And then, um, and then it was, it was pretty much just, just me from there. I had, I had to wait nine months till, till it repaired itself. But you were on a pro contract at that time as well? Yeah, so I, I had just finished my first year um, with a team in France. Um, and I had just switched teams to, to a new team. Um, so I spent five weeks in Vancouver at my parents' house while I was on crutches, 
uh, just recovering. And then I came over to my new team, and uh, I still I was still on crutches here, here for two weeks. Um, so I, sh- I showed up to my new team, unable to play. Uh, I didn't know anyone. I didn't know anyone in the city. Uh, it's in France, and my French isn't very good. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it was it was a really really difficult time. So you you basically you've had everything that you're happy about, confident with, and everything that your identity is wrapped up in taken away with with one injury because you can't you can't play. You're in the midst of trying to heal, and then at the same time, there's all this unknown going to a new place. But you like there's also probably that back end stress of going okay, well. I still have to prove myself to my new team and I'm, I can't do anything. And, you know, I don't know how it is in terms of honoring contracts for rugby, but, you know, sometimes there's that little nagging thought of, are they going to still honor my contract? And, you know, like, I can't even imagine what all of that wrapped up was like for you. Yeah, there, there are definitely a lot of, a lot of moving parts because it happened with the national team and um, just kind of sorting out insurance and who was paying me. And that, that was a big headache. But yeah, as, as you said, the, the biggest thing was that I came to a new team and I, and I hadn't proven myself. Um, it, it, it just felt like for the eight months that I was here that I, that I wasn't part of the team. And, and it's definitely my perception um, yeah. After I played my first game, it's it's not like my teammates treated me any different. They were always treated me well, always treated my friends. But it's my perception of myself. I I felt for so long like um, I wasn't part of the team. Like what what am I doing here? Um, I'm, did I'm, you did you have anyone to talk to? Did you know a few of the players going in, or was it completely blind? It, was there anyone was, that you could sound was, off uh, of? It was pretty much a hundred percent blind. There was uh plus the one, language. One wow. I had one teammate from my former team that came, but uh, he was French, so we we could only yeah. speak, only speak about very superficial things. Yeah. Um and then yeah, it was it was pretty tough. I guess the the only people I could really talk about were talk about it with were my my rugby playing friends from home but uh with the time change and with they have their Distance. own lives going on it, it's pretty tough and yeah i, I just kind of separated myself and I, I was just in this town uh, were you would you say you were somewhat depressed yeah, oh yeah it, it, it i i wouldn't guess that it i was i was definitely uh pretty depressed it, it it's hard to have kind of your your identity taken away i i see myself as a rugby player and to have that taken away was was tough and then i'm I'm sure paul knows like just just as a injured player you're on a different schedule to the rest of the team so i i wouldn't even see the, the team for kind of days on end um and then they go off to play the game come back they're excited or they're sad it's just i, I can't really share that with the team yeah um, so around the maybe four months in mark was kind of when I was at my lowest. It was November, December. Yeah. Um, it's winter here. It's dark. I 
I've already been doing this for four months. I still have another four or five months to go. Um, and there's a lot of kind of doubt, like, will I ever be able to play again? Yeah. If so, yeah. will I be any good? Um, it, yeah, it was, it was a lot, uh, a lot to deal with and, uh, definitely tough to, to go through it alone. What do you think, what do you think helped in that out of, it could be the tiniest thing, but what were some of the little tiny rays of light for you going through that? Um, yeah, there's, there's, I guess two I can think of off the top of my head. Um, just one of, one of my friends had had the same injury maybe nine months before me. So I, I talked to him a lot, uh, about certain things with it. And then also, I guess just during that four month period when I was at my lowest talking to him about that. And he said he felt the exact same way. Um, and just talking to him, someone who's gone through it helped a lot. And then, uh, also we, we have a rehab coach here who, who I was with every day. And uh, he he might be the happiest person on the planet. <laughs> um, I would I would come in sometimes just so low and unhappy and and uh, not abuse him, but be be pretty pretty rude maybe. And uh, belligerent, he, yeah. Yeah, and he and sometimes he he'd tell me what we were doing today, and I'd be like, no, like I'm not doing anything today, like yeah. Um, and yeah, he he's just really understanding, and um, he, I guess, he came to gain my trust. He he began to trust me, and um, just always being there with his, his smile and just encouraging words, which is so huge and and really helped me along. It's it's amazing the perspective you have after when you can see what actually brought you through and at the time there's no way you can see that that's helping at all because nothing at the time seems to be doing anything and but after the fact you know it's it, those things and those people it turns out are just vital to getting through it and putting one foot in front of the other quite literally yeah yeah definitely and and it's, it's funny he's the rehab coach for everyone and um in france every morning um you shake the hand of, of everyone you see mm -hmm. and uh, you, you, you can easily tell who's had long-term injuries by yeah. the, guys, the guys that are so excited to see them and have a really good rapport with him in the morning. It's, uh, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's, 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 it's pretty funny watching that in the morning. I, I never noticed that one of my friends pointed it out. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because it's those, key relationships that you spend all this time with this one person and it creates it creates like that lifeline that you needed at the time and another thought that came in when you're describing that is something that Paul has always been very um in tune with and that is just the the community that seems to be almost everywhere in Europe there's there's a much different type of relating on a day-to-day -day basis that than than what we have i think here in north america would you do you, do you know what i mean when i'm yeah no I, I i definitely agree with that yeah there's uh just social practices that are a little bit different but special and important i think and i was in france for seven years and a great example is that if i walked into a doctor's office and there's a few people in the waiting room you say bonjour and everyone replies 
And regardless of whether you've ever seen them in your life or will ever see them again, there's that common courtesy that's just extended. And every morning when you greet everyone on the team, like you said, it's shake the hand, you know, you look them in the eyes and there's that tiny moment of connection that I really miss here in North America. I could walk into the office today and potentially not even say a word to certain coworkers because that practice isn't in place. And it's, it's a really small thing, but a really big thing. Yeah. That's, that's one of my, my favorite things. Just, yeah. Like you said, shaking the hand and, and making eye contact and, and just pretty much knowing that you've seen that person today. Um, and yeah, it makes, makes such a, such a huge difference just um, in, in terms of being part of a team and also just being, being social creatures. Yeah. So, and you realize how important it is when you've come from a dark and low place as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice to get that, that little bit of connection, no, no matter how small. Um, I'm going to ask you a few questions here, if that's all right. Yeah, of course. Um, so what is something that you want people to know about you that maybe most people don't? Is there kind of a, um, I don't know, a quirky thing, a habit, uh, something like that, that most people don't know about you? Um, I was trying to think as, as you asked that, I, I guess quirky is, is I can, I can ride a unicycle. That's, that's, that's <laughs> that counts. I'm, that counts. something I'm super proud of. I've, uh, I've, I've always told my rugby playing friends that, and, um, we went to the Commonwealth games in 2015 and at the opening ceremonies, these, uh, I guess, acrobats came flying out on unicycles started going around and uh my buddies went <laughs> went nuts and then the like acrobat stopped and kind of the procession was over and they, they were still there my buddy's like all right like now's your chance to prove it <laughs> um so there's however many hundred people there as i'm like talking to this person asking if i could use their unicycle and now everyone's <laughs> everyone's turned to see this i'm like oh my god like um and and to my credit, I I made it maybe ten meters. I'll I'll, <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll say it, it wasn't set up perfectly, but uh, it it at least proved I could ride a unicycle and under high <laughs> high pressure. Ho hopefully, somebody filmed it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> go down yeah. in history. I'm I'm sure it's out there somewhere. Um, I I think a second one that that all rugby players will uh, attest to is is just my love of romantic comedies. Um, I, I'm sorry. We 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 can be we can be big and and strong and tackle people all we want, but uh, there'll there'll always be room for for watching a good romantic comedy. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, well then, what's what's your favorite romantic comedy? Yeah, uh, friend, friends with benefits. Uh, <laughs> closely followed by No Strings Attached. They they both came out at around around the same time. They're they're literally the exact same movie, um, but it's like it's it's just always the same. the The people meet, they're great, they're happy. There's like a small little dip unhappiness, and then it, and then it always ends happy. What's what's not the like? <laughs> that's the thing about that. That's so true. You know the formula, so you know it's not gonna be stressful at the end. It's gonna be a happy ending. So yeah. is that is that kind of the the situation you have now with your with your girlfriend? Was it a one of the romantic comedies? It, exactly, yeah. We, um, 
yeah, I guess we're we're still in the the honeymooning period of of the relationship, and hopefully there won't be any any dip. <laughs> there'll be dips. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure there'll be dips. Thanks. I I hate to say <laughs> yeah, it, but she's, uh, she's coming over Wednesday, so I'm I'm super excited to. Oh, to that's her. great. To, great to have someone else here with me. That's amazing. Is she? How long is she staying? Uh, just three weeks. Um. And I can't remember if I mentioned how small my town is, but it is tiny. Uh, so pretty much just seeing how much she likes it after the initial love of all the old buildings. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll be able to show her the town in 15 minutes, and then, and then I'm and out of ideas. Yeah, uh, exactly. <laughs> then she's going to have to help you with the agenda. Yeah. So that's that's a whole other matter when you're playing pro and you're overseas and you've got a loved one that's really far away. Um, Paul and I have been through that, and I think that's that was I used to we used to go on Skype. That's how we'd communicate. And every once in a while, I'd go on Skype, and there was an eight-hour time difference between the two of us. And I'd see this mark on his lips, and I was like, "What is going?" And it turned out he'd have a, a wine mustache. Like, are, are you are you drinking a little there? Like, are you are you okay? Easy, it was, easy. It was, <laughs> he's he's just was, indulging in French culture. Yeah, well, he was in Turkey at the time, so uh, no, no excuses then. Yeah, it would have been French but, wine. So yeah, exactly. But but point being is that it was it was a tough um, time to be apart. And is that? Uh, how do you manage that being in a long distance relationship playing pro like what are the what are the little tips you might give um i guess yeah as you said communication is, is key and and the eight hour time difference is awful but uh we always try to skype twice a day or i guess facetime now yep um just kind of before i'm going to bed and she's waking up and then the reverse as well um but it's it's definitely hard, and and I do feel like I'm I'm missing out on so much being over here. Like I I have um, tons of good friends here and a good good life, but it's it's still not the same as back in Canada with people I've known for um, years and grew up with in in, in my formative years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I've I've thought about it, but it it feels like for a lot of foreigners they they don't end their career when their play declines or whatever it may be. It's, it's more just that pull of, of going home gets to be so big. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like I long distance is obviously not something you can do forever and nor would want to do for that long. So I, I think that's going to become, well, it already is just a, a tough thing to deal with. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, all you'd, you'd be able to, say this that the living out of the suitcase and the you know the need to be with your kids was was a a big a big thing yeah it's always there in the back of your mind that just slight feeling of instability that no sense of not having permanence anywhere living out of the suitcase it is tough and it does wear you down i know like you said Connor. i probably i stopped playing before i i had to Uh, yeah but but from from your side, looking forward, what are the goals? Where where do you still want to get to in rugby? What what drives you? Um. Well, yeah, I, I guess 
possibly the the same as everyone else. I, I want to be the best player I can be. I, I want to be the best player in the world and always working towards that. Um, right now, I'm I'm playing for a team in the second division of France, um, and we're we're definitely in in the top of that division. But uh, we need we need to win the league to gain promotion to to the next league. Um, and I'm I'm sure France is similar to a lot of other countries where there's uh, a limit on the amount of foreigner players that each team is allowed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's it's pretty tough to to get into a top league team, and also tough to get into a a, a team in my league being a foreigner. So I'm I'm just pretty lucky to to be here right now. And um, yeah, the the goal is is just to do well with the team I'm on and. Gain, gain promotion to the top league that'll that'll be something I, I can be very proud of how long is your contract with that team uh i have another i have this year and one more year um and yeah i'll, I'll hopefully end up ex- extending here um that's great yeah it's, again not not the best city in france but uh the actual club and supporters and that are are, are top and what about national team? Uh, so with the national team, we have uh, our last chance to qualify for the World Cup in Japan, which takes place next year. Uh, the qualifier is in November in France, funnily enough. Um, so I'm hoping to make my way into that team. I'm still um, not quite 100% for my Achilles tear. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm, I'm I'm hoping to kind of sort sort out all the kinks and and be ready to go if if I get the call for for that team. It's one of the toughest things, and I've seen many players go through, especially Paul. In that, as a pro player, you you have to play even if you're not 100. percent And it there's all kinds of compromises you're making along the way, and it's rare that you're actually playing at 100. percent Yet that's what you're being asked of from a national team typically yeah i i remember we had uh simon whitfield come and talk to us one time uh this was with the rugby sevens team the guys and the girls um i I can't actually remember what the talk was about but i remember he asked the question of who feels 100 percent put your hands up and i think he was expecting kind of most people to have their hands up and uh that he was going to talk on on the minority yeah, and uh, and no one put their hand up. Yeah, everyone's feeling something. Everyone's hurt. Yeah. Um, and yeah, now that I'm getting paid for it and it's my profession, um, if if they ask me to go out there and play, uh, I'll I'll get out there and and do my best. Um. Yeah. Yeah, it's and it's it's that it's that dream of going forward with your with your national team representing your country and then yeah it's it's kind of a it's a big thing um how would you say what's one of the little things like small things that you do that has a big impact for you and it could be in relation to sport or life or training or relationships what's one of those little things that really has a big impact for your life um it's a a great question um I think uh I think reading would be a big one. Um 
I, I read a lot of fantasy books, which similar to kind of the, the Game of Thrones type thing. Nice. And, uh, it's just it's just such like an escape from everything. It's it's so different from every aspect of my life, and uh, it's not like a learning book where I have to focus on every word. Um, so even today, earlier, um, it's it's five p.m. here. It's six here in France. Um, I went down by the river in the sun and was just reading by the river, um, and that's that's just a great kind of recovery, mental recovery, and feel pretty rejuvenated after that. It's kind of one of those things that a lot of your buddies or peers in university look at you and go, oh my God, he's living the life. He's, he's playing pro, you know, he's reading in France and it's, it's an amazing <laughs> thing, right? But you have an, you have an engineering degree. What, what does your life look like after after rugby what do you what do you see yourself doing or what is have you looked that far what does that look like for you yeah i i think um i think to be the best athlete i i can be uh, pretty trying to stay in the moment and and focus just on my rugby career but i i, I have looked past obviously getting my my engineering degree um I, I, it's still kind of up in the air, but I, I have a love of traveling and I don't think that's going to change. So I, I hope to, to maybe work in different countries uh, while, while I'm still young. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm not sure if engineering is what I want to be doing. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking about going to business school as well to get my, my MBA. Nice. Uh, but I, I think this pretty much trying trying different things and 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 seeing seeing what i want to do um i i still feel young and i i I just like to keep keep trying everything nothing's nothing's stuck on full yet but keep experimenting and i'll I'll see where i end up yeah and that's a that's a great way to kind of experience the adventure of life and uh yeah we'll we really want to travel a lot too so maybe we'll meet up somewhere you never know um what uh i have a few little rapid fire questions here for you so we've got your favorite types of movies what about and your favorite types of books what about um what about food or for me if if i were to specify this i like to know people's favorite dessert because i love sweets but what's a favorite dessert or food uh i'd go japanese or thai food yeah um and I'm, I'm I don't have much of a sweet tooth to be honest. I love I love chips. Yeah. Um. But if if I am feeling it, I'll, I'm a big fan of uh, white chocolate New York cheesecake with um, <laughs> some raspberry uh, sauce on it. So holy, that's about the sweetest thing you could go for. If yeah, you don't like I, I love that exact thing for some reason. Oh, that's hilarious! And what about your favorite hobby? Do you have a outside of sport hobby? Um, trying to think. I guess I guess readings readings are already been said. Netflix. Um, pretty pretty much anything that's low. Uh, oh, actually, I'll, I'll definitely go with hiking. I there I you love, go. I love hiking. Um, and especially to some sort of water body, be it a a nice river. 
waterfall, nice lake. You've posted uh, some amazing photos of some of the places that you places you've hiked that look incredible. Yeah, I'm so lucky being born in Vancouver where there's so many I've done so many nice hikes and there's still so, so many more that can be done. Yeah. Um what uh what tip would you have to young upcomers in your sport? A little tip or advice? Um it's hard to give a tip without without being cliche, but um, I, I think beyond beyond just working hard is is to make sure you're you're having fun, um, and and yeah, if, if if you're not having fun, then change 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 something, be it the sport or uh, the environment you're in or whatever it may be. But uh, you'll, I I'm, I'm getting paid to play rugby, but I, I still have a lot of fun. Um, so if you're not having fun doing something, you're, you're not going to keep doing it and you're not going to improve and not going to end up being that great at it. Yeah. And of course I've got to ask this one because it's, it's in my wheelhouse, but what are your favorite or least favorite training workouts? Favorite and, you can, and, and, you can, favorite. and you can mention a workout that you had with Kari if you want to get no, specific. You don't need, Feel you don't free. need to. <laughs> you don't need to. Um, it's, it's, definitely work out you would put me through Kari and and your um any sort of running workout um you you used to make us run along the path by the river and it'd be sprinting for a bit then jogging um and yeah definitely aerobic fitness is is not not my favorite and and that hasn't changed since university (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> too bad uh, you're in rugby <laughs> yeah yeah um yeah there's there, i guess there's no getting around it what about some faves what are you loving are you loving some heavy lifts right now or yeah um i love doing snatches i i, yeah. I feel i feel like they're so useful for for the sport and um uh i've i've gotten better since I was gonna say your shoulders can take it. Your shoulders I, are tolerating that. It's it's a hundred percent a power snatch. If if I <laughs> bend into an overhead squat at all, then yeah, my arms drop forward. Thanks for clarifying. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, now now I'm getting more into mobility work as well, which you'll be happy to hear. So I'm I'm really enjoying kind of finding um, new ranges of motion and and new exercises to be doing. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, it's, and it's, it's strange to me doing things that can't be judged uh, quantitatively. Like with weightlifting, there's always a number you can go for, but yeah. mobility and stretching, it's, it's more just feel and, and that. Yeah, load and speed are that thing that you kind of rely on for so long, and then you realize that you got to go into something else that doesn't feel familiar. Yeah, exactly. And just to kind of wrap up here, um, what kind of, and this is this may not be something you've thought of because you're really focused on your sport and in the now. But do you have an idea after you're long gone from sport, long gone from your life, you've left this earth? What kind of legacy do you think you want to have left behind? Um, I think I maybe alluded to it a, a, a bit earlier. Um, I, I hope it has. Uh, minimal to do with rugby and is, is more about the type of person I am. Uh, I'm, I'm definitely very proud of all the rugby rugby things I've done and 
how far I've taken the sport and how much it's given me. But uh, just like to yeah, be remembered as a good person, good uh, good sibling, good uh, good son, and and hopefully good father when when the time comes. That's incredible. Well, I can certainly say that we are so fortunate for knowing you and we're, you know, it's, you're such an incredible athlete. And, uh, and I'm sure as Paul has learned over the years that there are so many people's lives that you're affecting who are watching you and you don't realize are watching. And, um, you know, you're putting that out there just by your work ethic and by how much effort and how much drive you have that has an impact on other people. So we're really, really grateful to have you on here and thank you for your contribution. Is there anything you want to leave off with? Uh, just, just thank you so much for having me. This is a, a great honor and it's, um, it's great to be on here with, with two people as, as distinguished as you, both uh, professionally and, and uh, in your personal, personal lives. So yeah, thanks, thanks a lot for having me on it. And it's been fantastic. A couple, couple tough questions as well that have got me thinking past this interview. <laughs> that's a good thing very much, Connor. yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm i'm gonna be in france now doing doing some deep thinking <laughs> alone until your girlfriend comes exactly <laughs> okay well thank you so much connor take care thanks a lot for having me guys thank you so much for listening to get more support in living your best life find us in our free facebook community empowered top performers we're on instagram at Paul Durden and at Empower Conditioning. Please share this podcast and rate us. A five-star review would mean the world to us. That is how we connect with and support more people to excel in sport and life. Take what you learned today and try it. Progress is perfection.